Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Precast. My name is Brian, and as always, are Zach and Vince. And we are here to talk about more of the comics that came out on June 1st, 2022. Or is it May 31st, technically, because of DC's weird release day? I don't know. Anyway, the first book up is Aquaman Andromeda. Wait, no, these books came out on... These books came out on... I'm sorry, Ju- I'm sorry June 7th, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're doing the... We're doing the- Second First time we've 7th. ever done this, folks. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Second week of June 7th. My apologies. Yeah. This uh, is the first time we are talking about books that are actually out in the wild. Yes. Yes. That have been out for, for a while. Yeah. So this is written by Rom V, illustrated by Christian Ward. Uh, Vince is notoriously not the biggest Christian Ward fan. And I feel like my initial impression of this book is that if you don't like Christian Ward art that much, there is nothing for you here. Because this is a slow burn, folks. Um, I, I, too, feel that way. I, I, I liked some of it, but it took a very long time to get where it was going. And the only thing that made that journey a little bit uh, manageable was that I like Christian Ward's art. But if you don't dig that, like a certain co-host of ours doesn't dig it that much, I could see this being a bit of a slog to read. Uh, Vince, have I proper, properly characterized how you've uh, felt about this book? I mean, considering I only made it halfway through it and I didn't finish it, <laughs> um, yes, yes, you've uh, you've you, you're at, you're accurately categorizing my feelings on it. So I'm I am going to take a, a a back seat to this discussion and not. Uh, because I didn't, I didn't read the whole book, but what I want to say is um, the problem I had with it was that like, you you get what they're going for. It's kind of like that seventies, eighties, slow burn sort of uh, uh, claustrophobic horror thing where like a bunch of scientists are cooped up. And then at some point the shit hits the fan and, and things get really crazy. And that's when the horror kicks in. But for a while, it's just kind of treading water and you're getting to learn the characters. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, like alien in that way or like the thing or something like that. But like like a hundred times more boring than that um, with 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 characters you couldn't care less about. Um, and so I just found it really tough to get through. And yeah, I just don't like the art either. And that's just a personal taste thing. So I couldn't get through this one guys so um i like don draper only like the beginnings of things <laughs> so i you can tell i've been watching a lot of mad men recently but uh i love the beginnings of stories i like seeing how stories come together it's one of my favorite things in like i i, I love stories about people building stuff whether it's building a new society or building a team or whatever I, I, that's that's sort of my wheelhouse for a lot of literature that i like and uh so i like the idea of this like new crew and get to know them a little bit and i like the idea of there being an aquaman book that isn't the aquaman is not the main character of i think that that's always interesting when comics try to do that i think all of that is admirable and cool and i think it looks good but I mean, again, like I'm in the tank for this book already, and I found myself struggling to get through it because it was just so unnecessarily long and not getting to the point for a lot of it. Zach, talk about it a little bit. 
Yeah, I was in the tank for this book because I really like Christian Ward's art a lot. And I think that I think highly of Rompey, um, even though I find that I actually haven't read a lot of what he writes. Um, I'm, he, he is the writer I'm most like, oh, I need to read that thing that Rom D is writing. Um, but yeah, this is long. I don't particularly like the fact that Aquaman takes a backseat. And, and I'm hoping that that's not the case for the entirety of the series because I, I don't think that any of these characters are particularly interesting or, or leave much of a mark in this first issue. Um, the one I guess that you're most supposed to associate with is the the female marine biologist. Uh, Yvonne. Who, what's her name? Vern. Her last Vern. name is Vern. Okay. Yeah. Ah, and, I get it. <laughs> yeah, like Ernest, right? <laughs> that's that's even better. Um. <laughs> so, I I think I've had this is like a thing in comics that I've like had trouble articulating for a while, but this book just had so much of it that it just really like coalesced. And that is that like, I I've talked about before that I really just don't like internal monologues that like happen over the page kind of like in an, in a like abstract in a vacuum from like what's happening, like in the story or on the page. And this book has a lot of that with with Vern kind of reminiscing about her father and like his relationship with the sea and all the things that he would tell her about the sea. And it just was it's just this like really flowery prose that I I feel like is supposed to be very like profound or deep, but it just comes off as very shallow and meaningless and adds nothing to the story. And I wonder, especially like with these black label books, if this is the kind of thing, like there's so few comics that really warrant multiple read throughs or, you know, like subsequent revisits. And, and I wonder if like reading this and taking it more slowly and being more intentional, if I would, you know, glean more meaning of, of what is being conveyed. You know, I know I, you, you obviously like pick up on some themes of like the, there's multiple mentions of, or, or like references to like, the water almost as kind of like this um this like barrier that you like pass or, or this like veil that you pass through when you pass like it, it talk, like there's language of like changing the shape of you or like becoming something else and that's all like very interesting on, on kind of like a conceptual level but I, I just don't really feel like especially this issue does anything meaningful with any of that and so you know maybe that will like come to fruition in later later issues but I, I still feel like in terms of just like this issue that's a failing of the issue and maybe the format and in, in like the serialized nature like maybe if this was all just a single volume it might it might read better but it just feels I mean, for like lack of a better word, it just all feels kind of fart sniffy. I mean, I yeah. don't think you're I don't think you're wrong about that. Can I, I just quick can I just quickly say like that point that you made, Zach, about this? There are so many writers that do that in comics where they're layering, especially the 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 first issues or or like the 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 prologue or the preamble for whatever the story is. 
they layer it in this like storytelling text that's supposed to it's almost like a souls game where like the the lore is something separate that you have to go read you know uh-huh except that here I, you know that they're doing all of that. Like any writer that does that is doing this because they're supposed to be telling you something about the character's personality so that when you actually meet them or when you get to see them in the action, you care more about them. Except that the problem with the format, like you're saying, it's, it's that when I'm reading those words, I'm looking at something else and I'm, I'm trying to be more interested in what's visually on the page. Mm-hmm. that I almost that stuff doesn't like sink in then or no, it slides, slides right off slides yeah. right off the smooth brain yeah and and Ram V is not the only one who does this so many writers these days oh, are doing yeah it. yeah it's I feel like I read stories like this every week oh I feel like almost every it's like it is like the convention now. yeah yeah and anyone who is kind of like deemed as like a you know kind of like high class or top tier writer does this kind of thing mm-hmm. um tiny and tiny i mean i was gonna say to me to me this is the scott snyder thing yeah mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he started it i don't know <laughs> um the snyder school of of writing um and i mean like in small doses it is okay or if it if you are actually getting something meaningful i just feel like there was so little of like actual value in it this time. I don't know. I don't disagree with any of that. I really liked the art though. I thought the art was fantastic. Um, The like, the, the like horizon, like the event horizon imagery, like spread throughout. So good. Um, and just like the colors are fantastic. And I love <laughs> costumes 10 out of 10. I really like <laughs> Arthur's design so much. I think it looks so good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that I, yeah, visually, and like this is a visual medium. So that goes a long way for me. I would probably give this like a solid seven out of 10 just on the art alone, you know? Uh, but I would I- like a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think this looks really pretty. I like some of what Romvi is doing here, but like we keep saying, it's just, it's just too much. It's just too decompressed. We're not, not even decompressed. It's just, it just takes so long to get to the goddamn point. Ultimately, for me. Yeah. Well, let's move on from that, uh, and let's talk. You know what? Let's. Can I call an audible here, boys? Sure. Can we talk about Vixen next? Because the Pride thing is going to be such a long segment. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. So yeah. we're talking about the first three chapters of the new Webtoons DC collaboration, Vixen NYC. The way to the credits in this is really dumb, but it's written by Jasmine Walls. And I think it's illustrated by Manu Azumi, but that's listed as the inker. There's no one listed as the penciler. Well, so like, like flat, like this is all digital stuff, I think. Right. So, so like I presume the- that's the that's the person doing the actual artists, the actual art, rather. Well, I think isn't like the flats like isn't that part of the flats artwork is, flats too? Is coloring. Flats is coloring. Flats is coloring. Okay. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this stuff works. <laughs> He's listed as like the most important or second most important creator. So I presume that's the person 
generating the artwork. Maybe so. I'd imagine that. But anyway, this is about a young vixen going to New York City for college. Uh, Vinzi, you were quiet for the last one. Talk to us about this. What do you think of this? I really like this. I I almost I almost loved it. Um, I love the format. That is what I definitely love. Um, I think when you think about what a Vixen title would be at DC proper right now, it would be a six issue miniseries that would tell one story a very traditional way. They would put like a mid tier artist solid, not, not like, not like bad, certainly, but like not a prestige artist on it. And it would be written by like, not Kelly and Lansing, but like that again, like that tier of writer, right. Or something like that. Some, you know, what I'm saying is, it might be written by like it, it, it. I could see it being written by like a up and coming person like, of color or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which as it should be, but like, like the point being is like, like just the way that things go. Like, if you're not Batman or Superman, DC is not. Um, that's 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 what you're getting for a book, basically. <laughs> you know, if you're these like no justice league side character or just like JLA or anything is ever going to get like an ongoing series anymore. Right. <laughs> like that will never happen again. Uh, Vixen could not have an ongoing title. If she was in the justice league, she might. I they don't even, they even I mean, canceled that book with her, which was the Justice League of America book. Well, yeah. okay. I was thinking even further back in the, like uh, the Meltzer era. Oh, oh that's not, yeah, that's a different. That may as well be. I'm Civil talking War. about now. I'm <laughs> talking about times. now. Well, I'm saying. Well, I'm thinking. Okay, so I'm thinking. When I say if she was on the Justice League, like I'm thinking, like obviously he has a movie coming out, but like Black Adam has a on ongoing now. I think that's more because Priest had a pitch and they are letting Priest do his thing. I think there will be a Black Adam series coming out, but I don't know if it would be a good one. Um. Well, well I'm, anyway, well, just as easily priest could do uh, then priest, priest should do a vixen book. <laughs> oh boy, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, hey, uh, I, it sounds like uh, Vampirella. Vampirella is really good. So Draculina. Yeah. Draculina. Um, Word has it she's nice with it. <laughs> anyway, not the. P- <laughs> uh, not the point. The point of what I'm saying though is like, webtoon is such a great um platform for a book like this i assume this is just an ongoing with an indefinite ending right it is the perfect place to do a story like this where you're essentially kind of telling an origin but very quickly everything is so quick everything happens so quickly you know you don't none of this is getting bogged down in lots of exposition narration just the format necessitates that it doesn't right so it gets you right into it. It gets you, it gets her a group of likable characters right away. And they're doing things. She's bumming around New York. Like it's, it's going to get high stakes, obviously with this like human uh, big game hunter man guy. Uh, Craven, not Craven the hunter kind of guy. Right. Obviously the stakes are going to get raised, but right now she's just like, 
fooling around in New York and it's just light and fun. And it's the type of storytelling that DC doesn't really let happen very often anymore in their, in their mainline comics. And it's done in such a brisk, breezy, just fun and easy to digest format. I, I love it. It was so easy to read these three issues to prepare for the show today. And I, it, it makes me wish almost every comic were like this. I would say like you should have your you should have a few prestige titles that get published the traditional way that are like the traditional length and style. You know, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. We, we've we've pitched our like, what if DC only published 20 titles, you know, and they like put all the big guns behind it. And and but that was it. 20 titles a month, you know. Well, I think they should do that. They should publish less physical product and they should do more of this because I, I could, I read this, like I read the Batman family one and it's so easy to keep up with or catch up if you get a little bit behind. And it's just so like aesthetically pleasing to me format alone but then the story itself is just fun it like leans into it leans into some like manga-esque visual tropes i think the visuals are a little bit rough or simplistic at times like i think like no matter what your webtoon is going to be stylized it's going to be kind of like manga-esque or webcomic-esque but i feel like if you look over at batman family adventures that stuff's a little bit more refined this this does not look bad by any means. Like, I don't want to give that impression. There were, there were just a few like pages or panels or whatever, where it was like, okay, this is a little bit, they, it's a little bit less detailed or, or even more simplistic than the Batman family stuff. Um, but for the most part, this was just such an enjoyable, refreshing way to read a DC story and getting Batman in there. Like I wasn't even annoyed to see Batman guesting in a book. Because uh, oh, you just like it because that's essentially Elon Musk hosting SNL <laughs> was Bruce Wayne hosting FNL. It's called, I believe. Right. Gr- yes. Great. First of all, great bit, like great bit, making him the obvious, like poor uh, billionaire Steve Forbes, Trump Musk choice to host at SNL. But then also later, like in the third issue, there's a billboard that says Themyscirin style yogurt. <laughs> and then at the bottom, it says a Wayne Industries product, that's which great. is uh, yeah. that's so perfect. Like that's one of the best jokes I've seen in a DC comic <laughs> in a long time. Like it again, like that is a bit of Bruce Wayne characterization that's that's tucked and hidden in there that you wouldn't expect, but it's just so funny. Um, man, I liked this a lot. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you you've said most of what I want to say about it. I think it's really good. I think the art is a little rough in points, but that's okay because the story flies along so fast. You can sort of forgive some of the artistic little uh, just little panels here and they look a little bit half. I would say like undercooked is my word for it. Uh, yeah, I would say the biggest issue I had was like some of the like character, some of the anatomy. I guess was like kind of like a little wonky sometimes is the thing that threw me mm-hmm. off. Uh, but I th- I like the the like manga stuff that you're talking about, Vince. Is like like some of Mari's reactions and like yes. the way yes. she kind of like yeah. becomes more animated sometimes. That is like fantastic. Give me like I love that. There, there's a panel somewhere where she basically does the um, 
Knives Chow face from uh, Scott Pilgrim where her like eyes go blank. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, um, yeah. Which does that face one, but I'm all for that. So that's good for me. But no, I thought this was I said, even with the art a little bit undercooked and put in places. I think this is just so charming. I love that DC is letting their work be interpreted by folks who normally don't get to do DC work and also that they're able to have some fun with it, like making Beast Boy and Bumblebee two classic Teen Titans characters co-stars in this book that's taking place, you know, when Vixen is 18 is very fun. It and, is very good. Yeah. You know, it, it no one's too worried about continuity. No one's too worried about how things fit. It's just a good Vixen story. My perhaps one critique of this that I don't I don't even know if I really believe it, but I can understand why somebody would say it is that like, you know, when you think about certain DC characters, there is a checklist of things that has to be there for it to feel like the character, you know, and love. And I could see somebody saying that this is basically a vino vixen and name only where mm. we don't get a lot of uh, thank you for laughing at that, Zach. Well, we don't get a lot of like the traditional stuff that makes Mari herself here. So I can, I can see and I can understand that critique, even if I think that we've never really dealt with the character at this age, to my knowledge before. And so I can wave my hands and make that go away in my head with relative ease. But I understand if somebody came to this book with that with that complaint. Well, I think it's like also, I mean, when is the last like def defining Vixen story that we had? I would say it was probably, you know, there was that mini series in the like mid 2000s that might have been an origin story. I really I can't remember. I, I have read it, I think, but it's been a long time. But it's just like, when is the last time that we kind of had a definitive Vixen story? And I feel like this is like a very good Vixen story for the current time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's very accurate. Um, I, I was just saying I could understand if somebody were to feel that way. I would understand why they felt it, but I did not feel that way. Yeah. I mean, to to me, what's nice about doing a webtoon like for for something like for a, for a character like this is that, like Vince said, it lets a character that doesn't normally get the spotlight get it. It lets you try the book with some talent that probably wouldn't get the assignment to write the, and draw the book. But almost more than that, I feel like there are some characters that keep failing at DC because DC hasn't figured out how to incorporate them appropriately into sort of whatever the like current model is, the Infinite Frontier, the New 52, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like for whatever reason, they have not been able to find a space for Vixen without totally tearing down the Vixen character. And so you see Vixen show up on a team here or there or as a guest star here and there. But this book allows you to, instead of trying to fit Vixen to the world, to create a world around Vixen. And the hope is that if you do this well enough, that it will give DC the opportunity to take, all right, what worked about the Webtoon Vixen book? How can we incorporate some of that stuff into a mainline DC book? And then you get this character feeling fresh and new in a DC book without having to go through all the growing pains of trying different things that didn't work. This is a really nice pilot program for whatever the next Vixen story is.
Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's even in this title, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think like her like getting to New York City and experiencing it for the first time. Yeah, that's that's kind of like that's not a very um unique to to Vixen situation for her to be in, you know. But like again, like the comic is so breezy, like you're you're just it's it spends a a good amount of its time on gags right and i love that i love that they're doing that like you said brian they're they're dc is allowing somebody to interpret it into a format that has traditionally invited that sort of storytelling versus like how i described like because every like i don't know what webtoon editorial is like if there's any at all you know but like the webtoon audience is generally looking for a certain thing right the dc comics audience and it's informed by years and years of editorial kind of honing is expecting a certain thing as well and it's it's the six issue mini that partially retells vixen's origin and tells you a very straight story with one villain and doesn't do a whole lot, right? Um, it's it's what we've come to expect, and I like breaking expectations. That's I'm I'm so bored with reading the same type of comic over and over again that this is just incredibly refreshing. Um, and one more thing I want to say, Vince, you, you're talking about the format, and we we kind of talked about this with uh, when we talked about batman uh or wayne family adventures or whatever but i i just i just really like this format i like the scrolling comic format because you do get like some very like rudimentary small panels which i i kind of like i i don't mind it but i can see you know we talked about how you you do miss like the um kind of like this the spreads you know and the like the big reveals or whatever but i feel like this this uh book had a really has some really cool moments like the first time that Mari put on the necklace there was that kind of like long stretch of artwork of like the spirits kind of like outside of her house do you remember what i'm talking about absolutely yeah. yes and it, it, you you just keep scrolling and the art keeps going and there's no break and that's a different kind of feeling from like a splash page or or a double double page spread but i i think it is also like equally as effective in in kind of like evoking this sense of uh, maybe not quite like awe, but like uh, the, the, a sense of spectacle, I think. Um, and so I, I do enjoy those types of things in this format that that you can't do in, in more traditional format. So. Yeah, it, it definitely makes the format work for it, too. Yeah. And that's all you can really ask for is that somebody is thinking about this stuff thoughtfully enough that they're looking at the format of their story and kind of the story that works best in that format. Because I think so many times in traditional, you know, 22 page Cape comics, people just take the format for granted and don't play with it in any real way. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a break. And when we return, we're going to be talking about the giant sized pride issue for this year. So stay tuned.
And we are back with the DC Pride 2022 issue. Uh, this is the second year, I believe, they're doing this, correct? Second, third year? I think it's the second. Maybe third. That's good, but whichever development it is, it's, it's good that DC makes this such a priority in their publishing schedule. And this year's issue is over 100 pages long. There's a lot here to get to. So let's get to it. The first story is a Superman and Batman story. And I mean, a Dick Gra- a Damian Wayne and uh, John Kent. Uh, it's called Super Pride, written by Devin Grayson, illustrated by Nick Robles. Um, what did you guys think of this as a first, uh, you know, sort of an opening story in the book? Um, I I thought it was I thought it was fine. Uh, it you know it, it was kind of um, I have like a breakdown of the of the stories into kind of different categories where they fit for me. Okay. And this one, this one fits into the category of um, not really for me uh, because it's like uh, th- this. There, this falls in the category of kind of like uh, YA romance to me. Um, and there, there are a few that fall into that. And I just like I. It, it's like it's cute and saccharine and a little cringy. And I just like I. I don't. I, it's fine, but. Um, I have a hard time like even uh, having an opinion on this issue, this story in particular, in light of like the feedback it has gotten, which I, you know, me being a, you know, just dumb white straight guy would not have even picked up on, but I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of LGBTQ people online having a big issue with this story and the way that it kind of uh just i i guess kind of like the the capital is the consumerization of pride so i i am blissfully as little online as i've ever been so i was not aware of this the issue is that what Superman is becoming like another symbol, another corporate symbol of pride, essentially. Well, I think, I think, and Vince, you're, you're pretty online. So you've probably seen some of this stuff as well. So you can maybe speak to it, but it seems like the, the gist of it is just that like, one, it's problematic that John is like, basically saying like oh pride is just a party it used to be you know it used to be a riot but now everything's fine it's basically like oh gay people are fine now you know like everything's yeah. fine there's no problems any longer we've solved we've solved a homophobia <laughs> and specifically let me just say specifically you know and i'm straight and cis too you know so like but that this this page where they reference stonewall even i as like a dumb dumb like read that page and i was like Oh, that's kind of a weird way to yeah. frame it because because they're they're talking about Stonewall, and da- Damien says uh, Pride was originally a riot, and and uh, John says, "Are you talking about Stonewall?" And yes, yeah, Stonewall was a riot, but there's John goes on to say, like, "Well, that's ancient history, and now Pride's been a party for decades." Which there's two things grossly wrong with that. That in my mind, when I read it. And that I've also seen since is that for, for one, like there's no mention in these pages of like the, mom- the momentous, they basically just say, 
it was just a riot. There's, there's no mention of the momentous history behind it. And like the impact it had, you know what I mean? Right. There's, there's no context for like, like Damien just sounds ignorant and then nobody really learns anything either (laughs) about history or context or whatever. But then even worse than that is making it sound like it's been a part of a party for decades when like, um, yeah. Okay. Pride has been a thing for a while and, and pride has been like a, you know, the, the, the LGBTQ movement has been going on for decades, but it's not been a party for decades when you have, um, some, you know, democratic politicians who, uh, weren't that long ago that they were in power and not wanting to codify gay right. marriage as legal. Right. I'm talking within like the last 20 years. <laughs> oh, within the last 10 years. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing a number out there. But yeah, yeah you're right. Like in like, addition to that, I feel like, you know, I, I know that I am the coastal elite of the podcast here. So like, obviously, I, I know that New York City pride has been a very joyful experience for a long time. But there are cities in America today where pride is not welcomed by the city all that well. Oh, there's I mean, you can you we could fill the podcast with it, very modern instances of, of progress actively being rolled back and right, right. and more to come. Right. Like, right. But e- e- even if you even if you take like the, the political element out of it, like I know there are still some townships and cities that have, you know, protesters at Pride. And have um, oh sure you know, yeah. ha- have have had city councils try to cancel it like not even talking about like the overall movement just like pride itself is not a party in certain areas the the participants may try to make it that but there are people out there who are actively trying to make it not a party right so that that all struck me as very tone deaf but I did not realize that there was a big online movement because again I am as blissfully offline as I've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's 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 good for you, good, honestly. Yeah, good spot to <laughs> yeah. be. And I think Vince, I even saw you bringing up maybe, or maybe maybe it was something else, someone else talking about how kind of tone deaf it is to have Damien being like so ready to like go anti riot gear on everybody. Was that you? No. Okay. It's kind of someone kinda, else. It's kind of John Kent in the book a little bit, but what? John basically says you shouldn't, you know. Um, well, but I'm saying Damien is like ready to go for it, and like as like an air. No, maybe it was Walt. It was Walt who I think was talking about like he is an Arab coded character. Yes, in DC, and and it's just kind of a little, a little tone deaf, maybe. Yeah, um, I think you know there there are some nice sentiments in this issue, but that Stonewall page really muddies things because like, um. That is, that is the thing that makes it seem like a corporate throwaway more than anything. You know, I think there's a way to, there's a way to do Damien not knowing about pride or understanding it and learning about it or whatever. There's a way to do it where it's, it's a little more sensitive and a little more realistic about um, the import of some of this stuff, you know? I felt like the dialogue in, in that scene in particular was just so it was trying to capture the tenor of these characters. It was trying to capture Damien's voice and maybe it did that, but it did it while sacrificing 
like a little bit of good taste and and to me it, to me, it felt like an after school special moment yes yeah yes but but even with even less context than that you know what i mean like yes. they would have they would have fleshed out this conversation to a more satisfactory degree in an after school special in a way that would be less because there's nothing wrong with showing a character like being ignorant or whatever there's there's not like you can argue whether Damien's the wrong or the right choice to do that with or whatever, you know, I'm not so interested in that stuff. Um, but just the way that that Stonewall conversation was so short and just know like, Oh, that was a riot. It, yeah, it was a riot, but that's over now. You know, <laughs> like just, I mean, I forget, forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. Didn't we already have a sequence in one of the books recently where John and Damien talk about John's, relationship status maybe yeah uh, but yeah but that's yeah well, no, 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 because hear me out though i feel like if there was a place to make robin be ignorant about something in a conversation between two friends in a non-pride month book you can have so much more nuance than you could here sure this is yes, like yes this, it's... this this is you have to get in and out with this story and so to make if you were to make him ignorant it would read really poorly, and it does here. Like there's, yeah. there, there, there's no time to redeem his intention or whatever in such a short story. Right, right, right. I think the art is pretty nice. Um, I, I, I like Nick Robles as an artist. Um, the the other thing I will say did you did you get did you did well Brian you didn't obviously but Zach did you see the other bit of controversy about the art in this one? No. Somebody said that they put the that the straight pride flag was uh incorporated into the cape of many colors that that uh that that John wears. Yeah. Which I didn't realize that because for first of all the straight pride, right? Like this thing invented to further oppress like the celebration of pride or 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 you know counteract it because you don't agree with it which is just you know heinous in the first place but i didn't realize that that i've i've seen the straight pride flag before or what i thought was it and what i thought it was was there's like a there's a flag that's like blue or something and it has like or it's it's like blue and pink or something and it has like the male and the female symbol on it to to indicate like this is it <laughs> you know <laughs> this is all you get folks right um so but in his coat or in his cape here, there's a, a white and honestly in the art, it looks like white or like pink tinged and brown, but the, the straight pride flag is like white and black striped um, in this same pattern. And so like some of the controversy was like, they put the straight pride flag in this cape. I don't, I think, I hope I'm, I'm being generous. I'm being more generous here than I am with the Stonewall page. I'm hoping it was like a, either a coloring mistake or because it's, it does, it does look like Brown and some other color. Like if it were starkly black and white, then yes, that's the straight pride flag. I, I don't know what it's doing here. It would be a shame if it is <laughs> the straight pride flag. I, mean, I would think that for some of this, it's just, I mean, like, there are certain flags within that cape that are very intentionally colored, but it looks like there's also pieces where it's just kind of 
they're just making it a multicolored cape, right? Yeah. And you, yeah. you hope that this is just that piece of it. I, I, I like to think so. I hope so. Yeah. Um, Cause that would be, a, that would be a colossal <laughs> boner. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean this, for, for those reasons, this was probably the, the, the story that I felt the least warmly about as I read this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there are still a couple things to like in there. Like, I, I do think the art is genuinely warm and charming um, coloring error aside or whatever, but, um, but um, yeah, I mean, this that, is, this is the one that's most superficially uh, uh, pride themed and like, and like, kind of a little careless with it um there's one this, more i thought way about too actually but we'll this, oh, this, okay. is a, this is a conversation for another episode honestly probably but another ask another thing that the the discourse around this uh this story has brought to my attention is there there's a it seems like there's a big segment of like comic critics comics criticism twitter that really doesn't like the direction that John Kent is going and like, not like the weirdos who are like mad that he's not like Pete Tomasi little <laughs> kid, not, not like that group, but like the more like high brow critics are, are kind of taking the other tack that like the way that he is being treated right now is just like very mid, which I'm not, I'm not current with uh, the Tom Taylor book, but I, I think that that's kind of, I think that's more just a symptom of how DC is treating all of the future state uh, heroes. You know what I mean? Yeah. But again, I feel like that's more of a conversation for another episode, but just something that I saw a lot lot of... uh, It it kept coming up in the discourse. The only thing I had seen about this issue was that um, somebody like me had tweeted like, Oh shit! I'm a few months behind on Son of Kal-El, but I thought Jay was a bad guy now. Oh, is he? Well, it wasn't. There wasn't that no, thing that like. I mean, I don't think so. What there, there was? It's there was a red the, herring. No, haven't these was, people was, read comics before? Again, I didn't see it, but I'm saying you know that I hadn't read it a few months. This last thing I remember about the character was that uh, he was like there was a you don't trust him from Lois coming. You know, like there was that cliffhanger that ended with like he's not who he says he is, or you don't trust him, or whatever. Um, that was literally all I saw about this comic. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's super, it's super dickery. Yeah, of course it is. Um, all right, that's enough about that mid story. Uh, so the next one is called Confessions. It's a Nubia and Big Barda story, and it is written by Stephanie Williams, illustrated by Megan Hetrick. And uh, I love that Barda is wearing a Saint Olaf shirt. I feel like Vince would have really appreciated that. Yeah, it's in my notes here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but th- this is uh, my inappropriate comment for this one is that George Perez would have loved this. They would have. <laughs> I, I, I also thought that. Yes. And I uh, didn't, which shows you that, you know, should have. This should have. I'm usually I'm usually the one saying George that. Perez in, yeah. this, in the credits. That's what it should have said. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, this this is big, stupid fun. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I like Hetrick's art. I think this actually isn't one of the better Hetrick illustrated things I've seen, but I did enjoy it for the most part. I just felt like sometimes the uh, some of the expressions were a little like uh, samey and not really looked like there was just kind of standard 
expressions for different characters in parts. But I thought this was a fun story. I um I like seeing Barda and stuff. I love that this is actually referencing an old issue of Mr. Miracle, mm-hmm. which is which you get in the uh, in that in the editor's box in there. Yeah, yeah. this was fun. I enjoyed the story. Uh, Zach, what'd you think of this? Same. This is one of the ones I liked. Um, it, you know, it doesn't do anything crazy, but it is fun and the art is good. And yeah, I, Big Barda. I'll, I'll always take Big Barda. Mm. Big Barda. Oh, she's she's uh, she's so she's... big, <laughs> so tall. Uh. Um, I like this a lot. Yeah, this was. Mm, as we go, I'll tell you which one was my favorite or or top two favorite or whatever. But this has got to be, this is in the running for sure. Um, this is this is definitely in the top three or four for me as well. Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, this might be in the top three or four for me as well. If, when if when they when they hit you with the classic DC title page, yeah, confessions yes. and the DC uh, bullet thing, like yeah, what yeah. a wonderful page! First of all, I thought the art was really great. I thought, I think the last time we saw Hetrick, which may have been um, may have been Future State or like shortly thereafter. I remember thinking, ha, huh, I usually like Hetrick's art a lot more than this. And then this story reminded me why. Like, I, I, I really loved the, the art in this one. Um, also, I will say, um, you know, no real, no real shade to like the, the Nubia book that's going on right now or the recent Wonder Woman stuff that, that I haven't been enjoying that much. I'm just not vibing with it. This is the best like post- uh or like infinite um infinite uh what's what the hell is it called (laughs) infinite frontier infinite frontier stat like post infinite frontier status quo wonder woman thing we've had like if all the issues of nubia were like this instead of having to i feel like nubia's job right now not as a character but as a comic is to set the table for the amazonian lore that we're going that that we're currently interested in right now yes. but what that's what that serves to do is it, it makes the comic a little too dry for me whereas this you know one of the same writers that has been writing in the in the wonder titles in stephanie williams like knocks this out of the park as far as like fun irreverent um totally like chock full of personality and just a really great take on the character that doesn't get bogged down in the Themyscira lore and just some of the dry stuff we've been having to deal with. Like what an enjoyable 10 pages or whatever this was to, to, to read through. Um, just really, really impressive from like a scripting and art and everything for an anthology story like this. I, I, I loved it. Yeah, and I said, I just want to double down on something. I, my issue with the art was just some of the facial expressions. I thought the storytelling was really good throughout this. Yeah, sure. Um, is that anything else to add? Mm-mm, I don't think so. Okay, uh, next up, we have the Connor Hawk story, which is called uh, Think of Me, written by Rose Setton and Ted Brandt and illustrated by them as well. I said Rose Stein. I typo there. Rose Stein and Ted Brandt. Um, so I like that they're using Connor Hawk more in DC. 
I like that they're giving him a bit of personality, making him asexual. I'm on board with all of that. I thought that this was doing a lot of work to get to him saying he was asexual. And most of that work felt a little bit just, this just felt like this was a, a te- how much, an eight or 10 page comic that had like four pages of actual story in it. It just felt a little bit stretched out for me, but I, I happen to like most of what it is. I would have just compressed it a little bit. Um, have we already had a story recently about Connor Hawk talking about him being asexual, or am I just thinking about this? I think it was thinking of the press release. Yeah, yeah, I way think ahead so. of time. Okay, okay. I just I couldn't remember. Um, yeah, I I don't necessarily like this story was fine. Um, this one I I appreciate it for highlighting kind of a um less talked about um yes aspect of sexuality um or or in this case like thereof i it, like i appreciate all the stories in this pride issue that kind of highlight unique ideas or 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 represent less represented peoples and and this this one does that so i appreciate it for that Vince? Yeah, I think it, you're right. It does, it a little bit reads like a Wikipedia article for what asex, asexual is, you know? Mm-hmm. But frankly, I, I do think some people might need that because yes, yes. it is one of the, it is one of the lesser understood, I would imagine. Um, um, I'm just by nature of it, by nature of it being a asexuality, you know? Right. Right. Um, um, I have nothing, I have no statistics to base that on other than just like, it's a concept you never see portrayed. Right. You know, a lot of times like um, society or media is a, is a, a, a reflection of reality in a way that can like educate people who aren't, you know, they're, they're consuming something, but maybe in life they haven't encountered it. And it's it's giving them an idea uh, about something they might not understand or not know about. I, I feel like in media you don't see this represented, right? And Agreed, so yes. Um, so yeah, on on that on that account, like yeah, it's probably necessary to give it more of a. I don't even want to say dry because I do think I do think some of Connor's sentiments here are really nice. I think they explain it really well. Yes, but no, but nonetheless, it is kind of explaining. Well, that's that's what I was about to say. Like, I feel like this could have been. If this was a telling a story about him going on a date and explaining to his date how he felt or something of the like, I'd have been much more on board with it. But I'm so sick of the trope of people writing a letter or composing a a message or whatever and using that to explain everything. It just feels like that's a little bit lazy from a comics perspective. Like, make this a story. Tell me that story. That story is and and to me, if you tell a story where someone is you're you know you're talking about this guy and and his his partner and you know how their relationship is different, I will care about those characters more than I care about him talking about his hypothetical feelings about a hypothetical person. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But he the story is uh, him fighting Elton John. So <laughs> yes, Philadelphia freedom, no more. <laughs> 
what would it be in the DCU? It would be uh, 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 Opal City, City of Freedom. Yeah, I, I, you're right. It would be Opal. O- Opal's too classy of a city for Philly. <laughs> they would not throw batteries at Santa Claus <laughs> in Opal City. Um, I know it's not a story, but I do want to shout out this dope P. Craig Russell Shining Night pinup. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Um, so the next story we have is called Up at Bat. It's written by Jadzia Axel- Axelrod and illustrated by Lin Yoshi. And uh, this is the character that we have recently re-encountered on our Patreon show in the Gail Simone. Recently, I said like half a year ago, uh, our Gail Simone Batgirl episode that we did, um, which as name is Alyssa Yeo. And it's uh, I like the art in this story a lot. And I, I I like telling a Bab story that isn't about. I feel like so sometimes, unfortunately, when writers get their hands on Babs and Dick lately, all the stories are about how Babs and Dick are together or not together. And I feel like anytime you have a story that can border on like a, uh, if you think about a story that involves a side character it does the same thing as the romance angle where all the side characters are related to somebody else. It's always, and the point is that we're not getting enough to me, like interesting bad stories that aren't tied to another character or another family of characters. And this is a purely, this is a bad supporting character. And it was just, it was nice to see these characters get their due without having to mention Batman or Nightwing or Robin just to tell this fun story. Yeah, I actually, I like this story a lot. I actually, mm, I think I almost like it better than the Nubia story, even. 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 I think the Batgirl bit is just so good. <laughs> yeah, that that was really clever, really well done, and really visually interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I loved that. In fact, that 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 should be a, a Alicia's uh, new moniker. I think with the dash bat. Yeah. Dash. Yeah, uh, This was one of the, my four or five favorite artistic ones for sure. I thought the art was really, really nice. All right. Up next, we have uh, a world kept just for me by Alyssa Wong and W Scott Forbes. This is a Jackson Hyde Aqualad story. It takes us on a on a date between Aqualad and uh, a fellow Zabellian, and they each bring each other to their like their childhood homes. And uh, this is decidedly one of my least favorite visual uh, stories here. It's all through like this weird Barbara Walters twenty twenty <laughs> uh, Vaseline on the lens look yeah. here, and it really doesn't suit the story at all. It doesn't do anything for me visually. But I liked the sentiment expressed here. I thought this was a, I think this was one of the one of the stories that felt uh, instantly true to the character who's telling it. Yeah, the writing was really good. And, and I thought, you know, that that's my only gripe with the art. The, I think the art would have been fine without that filter over. Agreed. It. Um, yeah. And I, and I really hate when there are a lot of artists in modern times, like the, the, they have the tools now to put these filters over things. And you think like, 
oh, they're underwater. We should make this all look like that. No, no, no. We've we've gone through decades of seeing Aquaman tell stories underwater and the art is just nice and dry <laughs> and it, and you get it, you get that it's underwater. Um, you don't need this, like, frankly, to, for my taste, unappealing filter put over it um, because the art underneath, like, looks pretty good. So <laughs> you just didn't need it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think it's really well-written. I think a lot of, again, a lot of the sen- sentiments here are really nice and, and warm and, and celebratory. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. This one did fall into the like YA romance category for me though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was very heavy handed with, in that aspect. You just don't like seeing people happy. I don't. Yeah. It's just really especially teens no teen is ever supposed to be happy um so that that all yeah that always rings untrue teenage relationships never look like this so um do you think uh, that's carly ray jepson's diner they're eating at at the end sure carly's diner. sure he says for your sake yes okay thanks uh, up next, we have The Gumshoe in Green, a Far Sector Mystery by Teeny Howard and Evan Cagle. And I love the look of this one. This is one of the best artistic installments also. I love the weir- how weird it is. I love the like half 1930s private eye, half Blade Runner feel to so much of it. Um I also I, I just thought this was a really clever story, and uh, I liked seeing this, this. To me, felt this, this is the clearest example of the creators taking a character and doing something just wholly new with it, and totally unlike what we've seen from this character before. And it totally works. Zach, what do you think? This was probably my favorite of the in DC universe. Uh stories mm. yeah we were I, going with that <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. obviously obviously um yeah i love this one it was the fan like it, it looks so good i love evan kegel's art i feel like teeny howard had a really good voice for for joe like if if let's get another joe buck with this team <laughs> and with like i love this like noir look too like with the green being the only other color it's such a good idea for a green lantern book you know how has no one ever done this before (laughs) is how i feel um yeah i i liked this one a lot and again uh, taking it much like with the connor hawk issue having a really interesting look at you know a, a a bi person and and kind of dealing with like stereotypes and critiques that that they may have to deal with uh yeah i liked it yeah absolutely up up there among my favorites um just a great a great tone a great style as as you guys have already mentioned um and the one of the things i was really impressed by is that i feel like so you know nk jemison wrote this uh 12 issue mini that all took place in this far sector. And then the character came to 2814, right? And they're 
kind of playing around with our regular heroes. And it, a lot of times what happens then is if, if the original creator or the original writer never, never goes back to the character, they never go back to the unique thing that sure. the character was built around, you know, like they wouldn't go back to that far sector because I feel like new writers would be like, well, I'm not interested in exploring this world that this other creator super talented and, and just like has a great mind for world building. I don't want to go in there and, and muck around and mess anything up. So we're just going to keep Joe on earth. Right. I feel like that's something that tends to happen where like, if a creator has a bit of lore, that's very specific to them somehow it gets kind of left in its um, it gets left in the past. You may reference it, but um, you don't go and play around there necessarily sometimes. So to see uh, Teeny Howard and Evan Kegel go back to this far sector, we're seeing these same alien races that, that Jemison invented. We're seeing some of the same characters. The tone is not exactly the same, but it's similar, I guess, you know, like similar enough that it, that it works to just see them go back to that exact world and play around in it and not do anything that feels disruptive or feels untrue to it was really impressive and really refreshing to me. Um, so that's the only thing I would add to what you guys already said. Yeah, this is one of the good ones for sure. There were a lot of I think most of them were good. Yeah, this was this was a, a, a better than average anthology. Um, Definitely. And, and I feel like when it fell short, it there were none of like the creators that we sometimes get in these books. Yeah, no, it, a lot of, you know, aside from some of the stumbling blocks in that first story, like if any of the other comics commit any big sins, it's just kind of being like boilerplate pride stories. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. Up next, we have Public Display of Electromagnetism, which is a story about the Ray and the Steve Orlando Justice League of America. <laughs> Not written by Steve Orlando, unfortunately. Written by Greg Lockhart, illustrated by Giulio Macchione. And uh, I thought this was okay. I This just made me more sad this team isn't a thing anymore. Yes. Or at least we're not seeing this team a lot anymore. Um, this story was fine, but... You know, decent art, decent story, nothing all that groundbreaking, except that I miss this JLA team. Yeah, this is kind of one of the ones that I mean is like boilerplate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with it uh, in my point of view, but just pretty a pretty bog standard. Um, like a, a, a hero grappling with their sexuality or in this case, public displays of affection therein. Um, certain certainly not bad, but just kind of standard. Yeah. Zach, anything to add on that one? No, it, it's very cool to see this team again. But yeah, it was very very boilerplate. Next up, we have a Batwoman story, uh, called "Bats in the Cradle," which is a good title for the story. Written by Stephanie Phillips, illustrated by Samantha Dodge. And uh, th- this is really more of a Colonel Kane story than it is a Batwoman story. And this is one of those stories that <laughs> we were talking about earlier where there's like a monologue that goes across the entire thing. But it's it's a sweet story. It's all about how basically you expect someone with Kane's like military background 
to not accept his daughter when she comes out, but he he very much accepts her and loves her. And it's about the parent-child relationship. And it, it's fine. Nothing really re- revelatory here, but it was fine. Well, that's because they've turned the military woke now, Brian. No, I'm kidding. Yes, of course. This is why we lose wars now, right? Those, those woke generals. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah, this this was I I, th- I thought it was nice. Yeah, I liked. I mean, I as some may know, I just recently uh, had a daughter, and so now all this stuff hits me even mm-hmm. harder. So yeah, especially because uh, you're gonna send her off to military school. Yeah, yep. exactly. as soon as you can. All right, let's move on to the next one of these. Special Delivery by Travis Moore. Um, So this is one of my least favorite visual stories. I I feel like Travis Moore has has never been one of my favorites, but I feel like this is just... This is so much of what I don't like about comics art. Just very, very posed. Very... uh, Yeah, stiff. just, (laughs) just, Just a very, very stiff story. And this is the story that I felt was maybe a little bit like I don't, I don't know that the making a happy first pride cake for somebody who was out before you and probably went to prides beforehand. Something felt a little just like a weird character beat for Tim to do here. Um, but my real problem, the, the story was fine enough. My real problem is just how stiff the art feels. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with I agree with all of that. I and I typically really like Travis Moore, but this feels this feels weird for some reason. I don't know. I do think the ending was really sweet. I understand your your criticism, Ryan, but but I I do think like the the cake getting a little ruined and and uh, the him saying, "How did you know it was my my fear pry?" Yeah, that 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 <laughs> joke that joke lands. That works. Yeah. All right, we're, we're running out of steam here, so let's power through. The next story here is a Harley Ivy story. This is called The Hunt by Danny Fernandez and Zoe Thorogood. This oh, art man. is amazing. Yeah, I so, love Zoe Thorogood's art. Oh, yeah. It, it, it even does one of the things I hate in comics, which is when characters fight each other because of a hallucination or something, which happens all the time <laughs> and it sucks. But this story could do that all day long because this art is so good. The art is really good. Um, you know, in a in a pride issue, this is definitely the one that uh, maybe uh, is would be the most appealing to a cis straight male, and they play on that a little bit <laughs> in the art and the dialogue. I think. Yes. Um, yeah, there. I mean, there's definitely a running commentary about the way DC has portrayed these characters. Yeah, yeah. Over the years. Yeah, but uh, you know, we were just talking last week about how the like in universe in like in DCU comics will never let these two like really be together for like any significant amount of time. So it is nice that these books are doing that. Yes. It gives me hope that like I feel like this is the opposite of what we normally see. Normally there would be a um 
if we saw a couple breaking up like I don't I'm not describing this well and I'm exhausted so I'm not going to do it well I'm just I, I I wish we saw them together in all the books but if they keep coming back to it in books like this it means that the, that the idea isn't gone forever I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah. yeah no it's definitely uh uh yeah right yeah it's it's, def- it's definitely their characters now yeah that they, I feel like they're all for like um the purposes of of tension or drama or or whatever they're they're gonna constantly go back to the well of like well this is this is who Harley used to be this was you know they're gonna always go back to the Joker well but they'll always come around to you know yeah. um boy that art though I just I want to double down on that like. Zoe Thorogood is so good. Um, the impending the impending blindness of Billy Scott looks great if you've never read that. Um, and then another one I really, really want to recommend was the issue of uh, Ha Ha uh, that Thorogood uh, did the art for, which that that's a book that's it's um, every issue is a different artist, but that issue in particular is. Oof, Good stuff. That brings us to our final in-universe story, which is called Are You Ready For This? Which it really should have been called Y'all Ready For This? Come on. <laughs> everyone knows that. Uh, written by Danny Lauren Ivan Cohen, illustrated by Brittany Williams. This is a uh, an Earth-11 story, which is the uh, Multiversity Teen Justice team we talked about last week. I enjoyed this Brittany Williams art more than I did the art in the miniseries introduction last week. And so I enjoyed this a little bit more than I did the mini, but you know, this is, this is kind of a boilerplate story too. I, I, I liked some of the, the fun stuff here, but there, there's not, there's not a tongue going on here for me at least. Yeah. I just, I liked seeing this team cause I like all the characters, um, but the story itself, we we've seen them in more interesting situations before this and granted this is just an anthology uh you know it's not meant it's not meant to be particularly deep or have that much of a plot (laughs) right right zach yeah yeah no it's fine it i felt i found this one to be the most forgettable yeah that's probably correct so the final story in this is called Finding Batman. It's written by Kevin Conroy, illustrated by Jay Bone. And um, what I, I mean, this is just an absolutely beautiful story. It's Kevin Conroy telling essentially his life story leading up to being cast as Batman and all of the struggles he went through as a young actor and specifically as a young gay actor. And... What I like about this story is that it absolutely has a happy ending in that him getting cast as Batman changed his life in a lot of ways, and that's wonderful. But I think one of the issues I have with this Pride comic in general is it's kind of like it's it's sort of reflected like we talked about with the Damian Wayne story, where oftentimes here it seems like Pride is treated as a party and there is not a lot of the social impact of of the gay rights movement that is brought up in these stories and that's a real shame because like vince said you know 
if there's people out there who are ignorant to some of this stuff, it's great that they learn about it however they can, whether it's through a, a funny book or something else. So I feel like there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit more of a need for stories that are are a bit more nuanced in these in these anthologies, and this one is downright rough to read at parts because Conroy is very honest about his past, and I just thought. I love Jay Bone. Jay Bone's a great, great artist. I love when Jay Bone colors himself, and this is he just uses sort of like one or two colors per page, and it, you know th the hues are very similar across the whole book. I think it just offers a beautiful, beautiful look. And man, I can't go, I can't say enough good things about this story. I, I thought this is worth the price of admission by itself. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, do you want to expound on that, Zach? Or uh, no? <laughs> okay. okay, all right. He's wearing he's wearing out, folks. Um, yeah, I love this too. I mean, what a what a like open, vulnerable. If you ever if you've ever heard um, Conroy talk on some of his like live streams or, or videos that he does, um, he's a really eloquent guy. Like to take this like life experience and this, like this struggle and the, the, this like, um, you know, decades long now past in the industry. Um, he's so good at distilling it down into words. Uh, and what seemed like, like when he talks on these live streams, it seems like a lot of it's off the cuff, you know? So like, he's just good about talking about this stuff or, or, about life or his career or whatever in general. I mean, I guess he does a lot. He's been going to like comic cons and stuff for years and years. And I'm sure he's thought so many ways uh, about how to tell this story in his head, but the way that it all comes out here, it's very, I mean, not only is it just very like raw and honest and like meaningful and very personal, but I think it, it now granted it is mostly, narration but i think he breaks it up in such a way him and jay bone break it up in such a way that that like he seems like a veteran comic book writer too yeah you know like the every every panel has like the right amount of narration or sometimes there's none and it's a it's a, an emotional choice for a certain reason and just it, it really seems like uh, a really veteran move the way that this is written. I think because it's so confessional, the narration doesn't feel so heavy, you know? Yes. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because something with this many narration boxes in another context it'd be something we would complain about, but when it's so confessional, so autobiographical and so like, I mean, this encompasses a big chunk of his career to, to, to get this across. And, and I feel like every sentence is needed. You know, every sentence gives you a little context for how tough it was for him to break through, you know, and man, it's really well done. Um, and if I don't have any criticisms for it, but the one thing I will say is I, I, I know 
the reason why the story ends when it does like right as he first gets like finds the batman voice but selfishly i want more story <laughs> like i want what comes next i i want <laughs> i would love for kevin conroy to just do a complete career like comic retrospective <laughs> with jay bone you know mm. Th- thematically it ends at the perfect point i understand that but like i'm just so i think so much of him as a talent and as a storyteller that I, I I would be delighted to see more of his story. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, you know, Kevin Conroy is such an uh, iconic piece of Batman lore at this point in his life that I didn't think there was anything he could do to add to that. But this is such a wonderful, wonderful addition to his legacy as as a piece of Batman history. And uh, good on Kevin Conroy for sharing this. And uh, yeah, this is just a, a really, really nice way to close out this anthology. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this. It really elevates the whole thing even more, honestly, mm. I think. And I, you know, it, the content warning was also, you know, it, it was nice that DC thought enough to put that in there too, because it is pretty, it's intense. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, some of the language that's used with the slurs and everything. I think like um, you could you could do the story without it. And and I think it would have the same impact. But I got to hand it to DC for like they could have they could have censored it. And I think you would have gotten the point. But if this was how Kevin Conroy specifically wanted to get it across, I'm happy that DC was willing to do it the way that he wanted to, you know. I'll say that as somebody who's like absolutely, absolutely appalled by slurs like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like if that's what Kevin Conroy wanted to get across, you know, uh, good, good on them for, for going there with him and then putting that content warning in there. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way, Vince. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the second week of June 7th comics. Vincey, what comes out next week? Oh, I just have to back up in our box here. Um, oh, God, it's archive of. They already put that one in the archive. OK, well, no, wait, now no, they didn't. We're done. Because next... About... Huh? next week, we're next week. We're actually talking about the 21st books. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying we were in the seventh, and that was oh, okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway. Uh, Aquaman and the Flash Void Spring, number one. Um, Batman Superman World's Finest, number four. Uh, Batman the Night, number six. Black Adam, number one. Ooh, baby. Uh, Catwoman, number 44. Dark Crisis Young Justice, number one. Duo, number two. Um, Earth Prime Heroes Twilight. Hey, guys, they published Twilight of the Superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> in the guise of a CW verse crossover. <laughs> okay. All right. I take back whatever I said last time. That would be the funniest way for them to publish Alan Moore's. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe that. Work. I believe that is a reference to something we talked about on our Patreon Q and A show. Which, if you're not doing a Patreon, we never we we don't plug the Patreon as much as we should. Five dollars a month, you get four bonus episodes a month. 
We're currently working our way through the New 52. And uh, yeah. Yep. We're going to make slash... Zach watch Austin Powers next. Yes. Patreon.com slash GC3Cast. Uh, sorry, Vince. Go ahead. That's all right. Fable, Fables 152. Um, milestones in history, number one. That's like a milestone. That's like a milestone. Another it... milestone, like retrospective type thing. But not. It's actually like real history. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's real history told yeah. by milestone characters, I assume. Y- yeah. Ah, got it. Um, that, that, might, that might be fun. Um, I don't I don't know that we'll cover it for the show, but it's a fun idea. Um, Nightwing 93, uh, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen's boss, Perry White, number one, The Flash, number 783. Well, there is definitely some comments coming out that week, and we'll see what we talk about when we talk about them. But uh, until next time, we can be found on Twitter, two-thirds of us. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And I am at the woke of Z. What inspired that change, by the way? I was just tired of the other one. And I had, the, so you know what? The will of D is a thing in One Piece. <laughs> and so I changed yeah. it to the woke of Z. Of course it is. Zach was tired of getting roped in every time somebody would mention Julia Fox. And so, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what happened. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, mentions would just blow up. If you need to find Vince, he is currently uh, he's getting really into this uh, podcaster named Blue of the Earth, and uh, he 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 thinks you should send him all sorts of recommendations about other podcasts and celebrities in that sort of vein of people. He'd greatly appreciate that. He's holistic, Jerry. Holistic. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Oops. I'll talk to you next time. Bye. One less obehave for the fembots.
Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. <laughs>